You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning. Today's scripture is taken from Song of Songs, chapters 3, verses 1 to 11. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. What is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, and with all the fragrant powders of the merchant? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh, against terror by night. King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon. He made its post of silver, its back of gold, and its seat of purple. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother had crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord bless, the Lord bless you, church. Well, we are in the fourth, uh, second last mass sermon in the first uh, season of uh, the Song of Songs, and we call it Songs from the Heart. This morning, we are looking at enjoying emotional intimacy. We're going to look at all of uh, uh, chapter 3 today, okay? And what we're going to see today in the song is the case of a wife who finds herself lacking uh, in emotional intimacy with her husband and now goes in pursuit of him for it. The wonderful thing is that the husband knows not only to touch her body, which we have seen in the last two chapters, but he also knows how to touch her heart. In fact, he knows how to touch her heart before he touches her body and that gives a, a very quick word to husbands that this is what we need to learn to do, that we need to learn to touch the hearts of our wives before we, we touch their bodies. And that is exactly what we're going to see today. But, and, but before we do that, to get a better understanding of, the, of, 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 this, of chapter 3 and what's happening here, I'd like to take us back to Genesis chapter 3 first. Okay, the imagery in the Song of Songs is so much garden and vineyard and things like that, and it makes us think about another garden, the very first garden in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. And so uh, uh, in Genesis 2, it ends with this, this, this great verse in, in the Bible Adam and, 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 and his wife Eve, they were both naked and they were without shame. And people, that's blissed. That's Eden. That's paradise. That's what we all are trying to get back to. 
where we can be totally exposed, totally vulnerable in heart, in soul, and in body uh, before another person and, and not feel fear or shame. And then Genesis 3 happens, and the serpent tempts Eve. She takes up the fruit, she eats it, she hands it over to her passive husband, and he eats it, and sin enters into the world. And then, everything is broken. Everything gets broken. So we tell, in, in Genesis in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 says this, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That is what sin does, people. We hide. We hide from God. We hide from one another. That's the immediate consequence to their sin. There is suddenly insecurity. They didn't know who they were anymore. They, were, they had cut themselves off, severed themselves from the life source, and they were cut off from one another as well. And that is what we get when we rebel against God. The very God who has been telling us that we've been made in His image, that we are loved by Him, and we are known by Him. That we are significant in value. But immediately when Adam and Eve sinned, they fell into this vulnerability, this insecurity. They are now naked and they are ashamed. And then in verse 9, it says this, that the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? You see people, God is always pursuing his people. And we see this from the very beginning, that when man, when man fell, that God graciously went after him and he didn't abandon them. He pursues them. He calls them out. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, the next verse, Adam speaks and he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. There is this negative emotion that suddenly comes in that was never there because of sin. And he says, because I was naked and I hid myself. And Adam confesses, I felt insecure. I feel broken. I'm naked now. I am so afraid and so I hide. Verse 11, God speaks and he says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man speaks in verse 12 and he says, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And you see the sin compounds and get, there's more sin. Adam just throws his wife under the bus. He blames his wife. And as a result of that, everything is fractured. From the relationship with God, to, the, to a broken relationship in marriage, to a, a broken relationship with one another. And so now, there's this brokenness in all of us as a result of Adam's sin. There's this insecurity, there's this propensity to be defensive, that we have this sinful need to exalt ourselves over others. There is this vulnerability. There's this emotional void in our souls. And this is all because of sin. And we have been separated from God. And there is an emotional brokenness in all of us. An emotional unhealth. And none of us is whole anymore. 
And you could think of some of the haunting questions that your soul, that you have, that, that you, you have asked your soul, and you have wondered about. All of us ask ourselves these questions every now and then. Am I lovable? Do I have any value? Is there something significant in me? Does my life hold meaning? Where do I go now with this brokenness in my life? How do I carry my shame? Where do I carry it to? How do I find healing? Where do I find emotional intimacy? And we are in a hunt for emotional intimacy and we, we, we don't know where to find emotional intimacy. And so what we normally do is that we either give ourselves some prep talk or we hide behind our appearance, our, 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 our achievements, our status. But at the end of the day, these questions still haunt us. We are so broken. And then we take that brokenness into our marriage with someone else who is just as broken as we are. And then we wonder, why is our marriage broken? And we're never able to figure out why marriage is so difficult. You are broken and your spouse is broken. Even when you come together, it doesn't make you whole. You see, people, two broken people does not make one whole piece. Therefore, emotional intimacy is such a struggle in every marriage. And it turns, affects physical intimacy and sexual intimacy. And what we're going to see this, in, in the song this morning is here's this girl. She has this strong need for emotional intimacy like any other woman. And she goes after her husband to meet those needs. Now, she doesn't just sit in a corner and sulk. She is proactive. She pursues her husband for emotional need. And so we're going to look at uh, chapter 3 today. We're going to divide it into two parts. One for the merits, the first part, emotional intimacy and the merits. And then the second part, emotional intimacy and the singles. So let's look at the first part, emotional intimacy and the merits. And we are going to, that's, that, that shows up for us in just the first four verses. This is a woman singing and she's saying, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. And because she couldn't find him at that point, she says in verse 2, I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares, and I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him. And again she says, I found him not. And then verse 3 tells us, and she says this, that the watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? And scarcely, verse 4 says, had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loved. And what did she do when she found him? I held him. And I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chambers of her who conceived me. She's giving us insight into her heart. We get an insight look into her thought life here. Like what, what she's feeling here, what she's fearing here, what is the emotional condition. That's the picture that is being painted for us right here. And if you remember last week, she was in winter. She was struggling last week. She was sort of out of orbit and something was off with her and her husband, whom she calls a young stag. He was bounding and leaping towards her and, 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 and came to rescue her for whatever kind of winter blues that she was going through. But now there's still some wrongness to her heart. And whatever it is, she's going to her husband to look for it. 
There are two things, people, that get repeated over and over here. And we need to pay attention. Every time the Bible repeats something, we should pay special attention. In fact, whenever your wife repeats things, you should take special note. Whenever your husband repeats things, you should take special note because that means it's important. So the very first thing that gets repeated that we see here in these four verses, four times it gets repeated, is this phrase, Him whom my soul loves. Him whom my soul loves is beautiful language. And the word for love here is a different word that she had been using for love before. It's not the word D-O-D, Dod. That means erotic love. That's, that's that sexual love. That's not the kind of love that she's talking about here. Most of the song is talking about erotic love. But this is the Hebrew word, Ahava, A-H-A-V-A. This is covenant love. This is sacrificial love. This is, this is love of a deep commitment. That's the kind of love that she speaks about here. You whom my soul loves. I'm seeking him whom my soul loves. And when she says, my soul loves him, she's expressing an emotional need. There's something that she's missing inside with regards to him. That is what is happening. Now, the second thing that gets repeated here is this phrase, I sought him. I sought him. And then she finally says, I found him. It's not that she keeps seeking for him and she couldn't find him. And that would be very frustrating. But she finds him. This shows that he was accessible to her. He was there when she needed him. Now, husbands, listen up. Is this true of you? Can your wife find you when she needs you? What I mean is that can she find you emotionally? Can she find you? Can she find your mind? Can she find your heart? Are you accessible to her? In fact, she even goes out, you know, when she couldn't find him, she went out into the city at night to look for him. The picture of the city is, is in stark contrast with the rest of the setting of the song. The whole song is these safe and secure places like the vineyards and the, and the, and the homes and the beds. And now she's out in the city and she's out at night. Oh, it's not safe there. She feels exposed, she feels insecure, she feels vulnerable. And, 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 and she's looking for a husband in those places of, of, of personal danger and insecurity. She repeats, I sought him and I found him. Now again, this is very poetic language, people. This is a poetic insight into her heart. She has this emotional desire, this emotional need. She's looking for connection. And she doesn't want to connect with anyone. She has a lot of girlfriends. The girls that she's going to talk to later, she's not seeking connection with them. She wants connection with her husband, and rightly so. She's looking for intimacy with him as she feels this insecurity. Her husband's been away, and him being away exposes some fear in her, some insecurities in her, and she's wondering in her heart, you know what, is he thinking about me? Is he mindful of me? You know, I, I feel a bit lonely. Now, I know that for us guys, you know, this, this, this kind of nuances that goes on in a, in a woman's heart and mind is like, it's like, what? You know, why are you so petty? I'm just away for a while. But that's a woman, people. That's a makeup. That's the way that she's wired up. You know, she has these fears. 
But she tells herself this as well. I said, I know I can go pursue after my husband. I am confident he will meet me in those places of my emotional needs. Now, husbands, can your wife call you any time of the day? Is it okay for you to call her, or for her to call you? I mean, would you give priority to a cause, or would you like, You'll be, you're so buried in your work or in whatever you're thinking about that you, 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 you ignore it. Can she find you when she needs you? Psychologists tell us that when we are physically or emotionally isolated from the people that we love, especially if it is for a period of time, that our brains enter into, into something like a drug withdrawal state. It's, it's missing some of the hormones that emotionally and relationally bond us, that bring us together. God has just made us holistically people. That, 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 even, that is even neurolog neurologically, how we are bonded together is such that scientists tell us that when, when you get a hug from someone, or when, you, when, you are, when somebody touches you, or when you can relate to someone at a deeper level, that in your brain, there are certain hormones, uh, hormones like dopamine and oxytocin. Dopamine, you know, you get that when you exercise as well. That, that it, it kind of gets released and it suppresses some of your anxieties and insecurities. And it's amazing. This is the way that God has made us. Our soul flourishes when we are connected physically and emotionally with somebody else. When we are relationally connected to one another. That is why husbands and wives need to physically touch each other even to their old age. I mean, I want to tell this to older couples. You know, I hope you have not come to the point by saying, hey, don't touch me, like the one for young people only. You know, old, old, old couples, older couples, not old couples, older couples should, should, should continue to, to sleep in one bed. They should continue to hold hands as they walk through the parks and the malls, you know, and parents and kids should hug one another, even way into adulthood. You know, friends should greet each other with hugs when it feels safe to do so. I know that in this pandemic, we are not allowed to hug one another, and when we meet each other in church, we are sort of bang, you know. This feasting, like as though like, mm, you know, welcome to church. When we used to, you know, hug each other and all of that, but when it feels safe, you know, do that. It will bring health, people. It will bring health emotionally and mentally. In fact, there should be a culture in every home where being physical is, 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 is normal. Conversely, people, emotional abandonment will impact the health of any marriage, any relationship for that matter. Emotional abandonment is when couples don't have a conversation of any, any sort of, at any deeper level. There's no self-disclosure in the relationship. You don't, you don't open up your heart. You can be talking about administrative things in the house. You could talk about the fact that the toilet sink needs to be clean or, or, or you know, that, that there's too many clothes in the cupboards and they need to be taken out and all those kind of conversations, but there is no real self-disclosure about your fears, your anxieties, you know, your frustrations. Emotional abandonment can also happen when there's abuse uh, uh, in the relationship where, you know, where, where, when you're speaking to one another abusively and, and, and you don't feel safe emotionally with one another. And without emotional safety, 
you get defensive, as in Genesis 3. Elliot Grudem, who writes for Desiring God, uh, describes vulnerability this way, and I just love this definition. He says that vulnerability is taking off your armor. You know, we all have an armor that we, we put to protect ourselves. You take off your armor <coughs> and you give someone your sword. They can either defend you or harm you. You just open yourself to, to the other person. And in marriage, if you keep harming the one that is opening up to you, you will eventually find that they will close off. And intimacy and oneness will be impossible after that. Now, while intimacy, you know, this is not gender-specific. Men also have intimacy needs and emotional needs that must be met as well. But experience and the text tells us that women are especially unique when it comes to their emotional needs. And I know that we husbands, we struggle like crazy with regards to that. Like we don't know how to meet the emotional needs of our wives a lot of times. In fact, 1 Peter commands us, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, uh, verse 7, uh, Peter commands us, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. The husband needs to work hard to understand his wife emotionally so that she feels safe in the marriage. He needs to be able to engage with her at a deeper level, more than just physically. And you know why this should be natural to us, guys? Especially if we, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ and if we love the gospel? Because Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that that's what Jesus did for us and does for us. That's why we will be able to cherish our wives because Jesus cherishes us. When you come to Jesus, you take off your armor. You hand over your sword to Him. You expose yourself emotionally to Him. You know, you, you open up your life, your sins, your insecurities, and, 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 and your fears all to Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't attack you. He defends you. In those moments, Jesus looks at you with kindness and with gentleness and with tenderness. He meets you in your messiness and He loves you. In the darkest moments and in, the, in your greatest sins, in your most emotionally defenseless places, Jesus cherishes you. And so husbands, that's how you respond to your wife. You, you are also to cherish her. And that is how prayer works. You know, true, true prayer is intimacy with God. When you come to God in prayer, you expose yourself to Him. You come naked before Him. You uncover your life before Him. You tell Him every, every specific sin that you've committed, every ugly thought that you've thought in your mind. You bring it before Him, and yet, you know, as you uncover yourself before Him, you walk away from prayer feeling cherished and accepted by the Lord. The Lord says to us as we come to Him in prayer, as we come to Him in lament and in our tears, I'm emotionally available to you. You can come to me and share anything with me. And that's the invitation every husband must give to his wife. I'm emotionally available to you. You can feel safe with me. That is cherishing your wife the way Christ cherishes the church. People, let me ask you some questions here so that we can discern whether you have this, 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 this emotional capacity to be able to be intimate or are you in a state of intimacy with your, in your marriage? And here are three questions. Number one, where are you in your 
emotional availability. Are you accessible to your spouse? I'm not talking about you physically. Are, are you emotionally, are you mentally accessible to your spouse? Can he or she, can, can she say confidently, can he say confidently, I can get my spouse's attention easily? He or she is not easily distracted. That is, your spouse is not always focused focus on the kids, or on the work, or on the phone, or on the TV, or on the newspaper, but you can get your spouse's attention easily. Like, it's easy to connect emotionally with my spouse. Number two, does your spouse have the assurance that you come first with him or her? Is there a doubt in their minds? Is this an emphatic yes that your spouse can say? Do you feel, or, or do they feel emotionally shut out? Like, I don't feel like, you know, he or she ever listens to me. I mean, I'm not encouraged to share my deepest feelings. I don't know whether if I have a need, that they will be there for me. Immediately. That they will drop everything and be there for me. Can you pick up some signals from your spouse when they're struggling or feeling insecure? When you have a fight or a disagreement, does, a, does your spouse have an assurance that you will not pout? that you will not give the, 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 the other person a, the silent treatment, that you will not walk away, that you will not, you, you will not ski, uh, shout and scream and threaten, that the two of you will be able to work this out you know, emotionally, in an emotional, healthy way uh, towards reconciliation. Number three, are you emotionally engaged one with one another? Now, I'm not talking about the fact that you can sit and, uh, and eat together that you can sit in a car together, that you could go on a holiday together, but are, are, are you able to be able to sh share your deepest concerns? Can you take risk, emotional risk with one another? Husbands, can you take emotional risk with your wives where you can confess your sins to her or can tell her about some of the things that, are, uh, that, 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 that you have done and she doesn't turn the table at you and shoot back at you and make it about herself? Wives, are you, are you able to share with your husbands uh, you know, the things that are going on in your heart? Sometimes you know, wives find it easier to share with another friend, with another girlfriend. They feel safer that way than sharing it with their husbands. People, is your marriage a safe place? Emotional intimacy is unbelievably important for the flourishing of the marriage relationship. And that's what this girl in our text is after. And that's what she's seeking. And that's what every wife seeks. And then you come to verse 4 and he says that she finds him. And you know the moment she finds him, what she does? She holds him. And, this, this, and she will not let him go. The, the, in the Hebrew, the language is unbelievably intimate and intense. She tightly holds on to him. And this is not a sexual desire. This is an emotional intimacy that she's after. It's almost like in holding him that way, she feels the melting away of her insecurities and the melting away of her fears. We all have this need to hold someone wholeheartedly. Now let's move on to the second part, which is the emotional intimacy with the singles. Verse 4 ends with the wife bringing her husband to the chambers of her mother's house. Her mother's house is a safe place and it hints on them moving now from emotional intimacy to the natural next thing, which is the sexual intimacy. 
Why do I say that it hints on that? Because when it comes to verse 5, she's talking to her girlfriends, to the single girls, and she says this, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles of the doors of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is a repeat. This keeps coming back again and again. I love that she wants them again. And I love it that she wants them in the context of what she is doing. She keeps warning her single friends not to have sex outside of marriage. And in this context, she's telling them, girls, listen to me, please. Your insecurities don't go away when you get a man. Even in a marriage relationship, you are, you're going to feel exposed. You're going to feel vulnerable. You're going to feel insecure. You know, your vulnerability and your fears, they just go, don't go away with sex. There is no relationship status, whether it is single or dating or engaged or married. There's no relationship status that is fear-free. Yes, perfect love casts out fear. But then, there isn't a single man or a single woman in this whole world that is able to love you perfectly. And so fear and insecurity and anxieties will exist in every relationship, in sexual relationships, even in marriage relationships. And so she warns them about sex outside of marriage. Listen, people, sex is never safe, not even in a marriage. Listen, scientifically in sex, hormones bond one person with another person, and it's unbelievably powerful. It puts you at risk and makes you completely vulnerable. Your souls get attached to the person you are having sex with. And so outside of the safety and the covenant of marriage, sex can be destructive. It can, be, it can lead to destruction. I mean, what else has led to emotional brokenness of men and women more than sex outside of marriage? With all the fears and all the insecurities that it creates, Outside, of, outside of, of the safe and secure place of marriage, sex is not safe. And so she wants them. And even in a marriage, you know, because of the vulnerabilities that happen because of sex, it sometimes, you know, it, 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 it is great, but it may not be safe. And in fact, in the next section, she paints for her single girls an imagery of a wedding. And look at verse 6. She describes a wedding here. And the way she describes it is this way. She says, what is, coming, what is coming up from the wilderness, like columns of smoke, perfumes of myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of a merchant? Behold, it's the literal of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and experts in war, each, of, each with his sword at his thigh against the terror of night. Now, we will not read this part, but what it says is that she gives here a picture of a wedding. Solomon wrote this song, and it is the best song out of the thousands of songs that he wrote. But this song is not about Solomon. Solomon had 700 wives. He probably had 700 weddings. I don't know how he did that. But, but the imagery here isn't about his wedding. It's the imagery of any wedding. It's about the beauty, the glory of a wedding, the safety of the wedding, the marriage covenant. That's what's happening here. Notice here, people, that there are 60 mighty men with swords on their sides. These are the groomsmen, and they're all carrying swords. Imagine a, a wedding 
where the bride is walking up the aisles and there are 60 mighty men carrying swords on each side 30-30 as she walks up to the aisles. The bride is going to feel so protected. Nobody is going to mess with her. It's a safe place to be. And these guys are experts at war. There's a column of smoke that a husband enters through and it smells like the best perfume. And this is a picture of God, people, in all of His glory, going with the Israelites in the wilderness. This is a picture of God who protects the vulnerable. There is a fearful and strong presence of God that is surrounding you, His precious bride, and there is nothing that can mess with you. He is your shield and your rampart around you. He is your perfect love. So this bride feels safe. And so then in verse 11, she tells the single girls, Girls, I want you to consider this. That whenever you consider a wedding for yourselves, make sure that you, you feel absolutely safe with the man you are marrying. That as you walk up the aisles, that you should feel a confidence and a certainty that the man that I'm going to marry is going to make me feel totally safe. I can open up my heart, I can open up my life, and I know that He will not harm me. Now people, let me come to a close. We all need emotional intimacy. There is no denying of it, no matter what, you know, you could be a young person, you could be an aged person, we all need emotional intimacy, just as much as we need physical intimacy. And your security and your, your, your insecurities, they don't go away when you meet a man or a woman. When you begin to have sex in marriage, your insecurities and fears won't go away either. In essence, there is no man or woman out there who will be able to make you strong and secure all the time. Not in its fullness. Not in a way that puts you back together what Genesis 3 has torn apart. There is no relationship status that is secure or fear-free. And for the singles, if you need, you know, I, must, I want to encourage singles that you need to intentionally cultivate healthy relationships with people. And you need to connect emotionally with people. But even then, it will not be perfect. And just like in this pandemic, social isolation can keep you from meaningful relational connection. Therefore, people, whether you are married or you're single, there is only Jesus. He is the perfect love that casts out all fears. And only Jesus can love you perfectly. Only He is able to do that. That's why you must seek after Him. And you must pursue Him. And the scripture gives us assurance that He will be found of you. George White, Whitefield was a famous evangelist and preacher back in the 18th century. He's one of the main characters in the first awakening, so, uh, in, the, in, the, in the first great awakening, the revival in England and America in those days. And he, he, he preached many, many sermons, uh, and that's about 200 years ago. But there is one sermon that he preached to a group of single women. And that sermon is called, Christ the Best Husband. 
Now, this is a 200-year-old sermon, but it's, I think it still speaks to us today. And I want to close today's sermon by reading the last bits of his sermon. And I want you, as, you read, as, I, as I read this to you, to consider this truth about Jesus. The only one who can fulfill you. The only one who can fulfill women. The only one who can satisfy what Genesis 3 broke. And this is the way, this is what he says. Consider who the Lord Jesus is, whom you are invited to espouse yourself unto. He is the best husband. There is none comparable to Jesus Christ. Do you desire one that is great? He is the highest dignity. He is the glory of heaven. The darling of eternity, admired by angels, dreaded by devils, adorned by saints. For you to be espoused to one so great a king, what honor will you have by this espousal? Do you desire one that is rich? None is comparable to Christ. The fullness of the earth belongs to him. If you be espoused to Christ, you shall share in his unsearchable riches. You shall receive of his fullness even grace for grace here, and you shall hereafter be admitted to glory and shall live with this Jesus to all eternity. Do you desire one that is wise? There is none comparable to Christ for wisdom. His knowledge is infinite, and his wisdom is correspondent thereto. And if you expose to Christ, he will guide and counsel you and make you wise unto salvation. Do you desire one that is potent? The... Um, who, who may defend you against your enemies and all the insults and reproaches of the Pharisees of this generation? There is none that can equal Christ in power, for the Lord Jesus Christ had all power. Do you desire one that is good? There is none like unto Christ in this regard. Others may have some goodness, but it is imperfect. Christ's goodness is complete and perfect. He is full of goodness, and in Him dwelleth no evil. Do you desire one that is beautiful? His eyes are most sparkling. His looks and glances of love are ravishing. His smiles are most delightful and refreshing unto the soul. Christ is the most lovely person of all others in the world. Do you desire one that can love you? None can love you, None can love you like Christ. His love, my dear sisters, is, incompre is, incomprehensibly, is incomprehensible. His love passes all other loves. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is first without beginning. His love is free without any motive. His love is great without any measure. His love is constant without any change. And His love is everlasting. To bow your heads with me, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.